Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day to everybody, especially to the moms, but we can all have a happy Mother's Day. Today, good to be here this morning, and it's always something of a challenge for me. Uh, anytime I preach on Mother's Day, I want to honor the day with appropriate passage of scripture, and um, this week as we've laid out our preaching schedule and uh, as we're working through major passages in the New Testament um, and uh, on our New Testament journey, we've decided to, to uh, use a passage of scripture today that is typically used on special occasions in the life of uh, the church. This is usually the passage we pull out for weddings. Now, this passage we can pull out anytime because it's God's word and it's good for us and talks about love. But 1 Corinthians 13 is also a good passage to uh, bring out on Mother's Day. And it uh, probably is easier for us to hear the meaning of the passage on uh, thinking about it in terms of Mother's Day than it is on in terms of a wedding day, because in wedding day, it's just a couple of kids that have no idea what they're doing, and they think they do, and uh, love kind of gets confused in that moment, even though it's a very important thing for us to talk about. When we talk about a mother's love, uh, we're getting a little bit closer, I think, to what uh, God has in mind for us when he uh, tells us about the supremacy of love in the Christian walk, but regardless, whether for moms, for uh, the rest of us, uh, we're going to talk about First uh, Corinthians 13, the love chapter today, and talk about how uh, the the um, premium that God places on this idea of uh, love, the supremacy of love, and uh, we're going to look at it from this very familiar passage, First Corinthians. 13. Now, this passage is well known and it's so beautiful and, and is so um, cert certainly appropriate uh, to, to reference on a wedding day, a beautiful day that is uh, filled with uh, so much attention and, uh, and um, anticipated and celebrated so so highly uh the the words of of first corinthians 13 uh are are so beautiful in fact these these words are really in the form of a poem and it's not a poem like we would typically think of in english where the words rhyme uh but it's a it's poetic in the in the biblical sense in fact in the uh, sense of the Old Testament Hebrew specifically because of the parallelism that it uses. And so we're going to look through it and the, these 13 verses, um, we're going to look at the first three verses that forms a, 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 a statement that talks about the spiritual gifts in, in reference to love. And then, and then verses four through seven, that's kind of the central feature because in Hebrew poetry, the most important part is in the middle of the poem, and so the middle of the poem is is kind of the the center of attention that, that talks about 
a picture of uh, what love looks like. And then the last several verses, 8 through 13, then goes back to and, and parallels the first three verses talking about spiritual gifts. And the, uh, the poem itself is an inspired description of the importance of love in the Christian life. So let's, uh, let's take a look at the first part of this poem. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. So these first three verses speak to uh, the importance of love, and it's important for us to understand the context of these verses because here we have a description of the danger of loveless service the the danger of attempting to serve the lord without love you think how can that be well it can be because we have the book of first corinthians that talk about it happening and it uh happened in in the church in corinth and paul was under the Spirit's guidance and inspiration was, was speaking about the danger of attempting to serve the Lord without love. So 1 Corinthians 13, this chapter uh, is following uh, the description in 1 Corinthians 12 about spiritual gifts. Spiritual gifts uh, are um, how God empowers the members of the church to serve one another and in their worship of God and also to reach out to the world and how every part, uh, every, every member of the church has uh, their own place to serve together. And in, uh, in Corinth, as is the case for many uh, throughout history and uh, is certainly a temptation that we all face and that is that the uh, the the church tended certainly in Corinth and we can be the same way the church tended to accentuate the more showy elements of worship together and they did that in a number of ways uh, we won't go into but the idea was uh, church was uh, for, for the Corinthians and can be for us. There was a temptation to think of church in terms of the, the showmanship and the entertainment value that would come from different elements of the service. Not only that, there was also within the church this idea that um, certain people did certain things better than others and people kind of had their favorites about who was doing what. They certainly had that in terms of the teaching ministry 
And uh, so they played favorites, and they said, oh, I, you know, I like Paul, I like Apollos, I like these, uh, I have my favorite teachers. Again, they were accentuating kind of the entertainment value, how, how uh, the, the personalities impacted them personally. And so their focus was instead of where it should have been, their focus was on what they would get personally out of church and how it spoke to them personally and in some cases um, sort of bolstered their own ego and they got confused in what it meant to be part of a body and to serve together. We all have potentially uh, a temptation to fall into that same danger of serving the Lord without love, serving the Lord for the wrong reason. And the danger of that is that if we serve and engage in ministry and do things in life uh, for the wrong reason without love it isn't just that it's bad it's that it's worthless it is for of no value verse 2 there toward the end if I don't have love I'm nothing verse 3 if I do all these things but don't have love I gain nothing nothing right that's not a little something that's not as that, that that's nothing right that's in God's eyes it is of no value if we engage in service without love so that's a big deal that is um Pretty, pretty dangerous because <clears throat> we all know, we understand this, that God pays attention, right? God is paying attention. And someday we appear before God and we give an account for what we've done because God's been paying attention and there's no hiding from what we've done in that moment. And so that's a terrifying thought, right? We And even people that are maybe far from God or, 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 um, or maybe even doubt the existence of God or, or whatever, they have this sense that, you know what, what, what we do matters and, and someday uh, might be that we have to kind of stand and give an account for what we do. And that's a terrifying thought, but we have good news that God is not just the judge that wants to get, get us. He's the, he's the father who loves us, wants to prepare us for that day. But as we, as people of God, gather together and serve one another and worship the Lord and reach out into the world, it's not enough just to go through the actions of doing this. Even not enough to go through the actions of doing this 
with a great deal of energy and personal sacrifice. It's not enough to be busy, to be active, to even devote our life to service without love. And we know that to be true. However, do we fully recognize what it means to serve in love? Well, we have here in these first few verses the danger of loveless service. Uh, we then have a picture of what serving in love looks like, a picture of love in action, a love uh, uh, service inspired by love in verses 4 through 7. Love is patient. Love is kind. Does not envy, does not boast, is not proud. Does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This is the heart of this poem. This is the heart of this section that is placed here in the book of 1 Corinthians to, to help the church in Corinth understand the um, what it really meant to be means to be the people of God, not just to engage in activity, uh, uh, not even to just engage in it, in it to a sacrificial level, but to be truly uh, servants of Christ and one another uh, by by being motivated in service through love. This is this is the central uh, part of this chapter, this poem about love which is supreme in how we go about serving the Lord. This is love in action. And as is common in, uh, throughout Scripture and certainly uh, in, in the, uh, the, the letters of the, the New Testament, there are lists of virtues that are given about how we should live, just as there are lists of vices or sins that we shouldn't do. And anytime we see a list, it's, it's good to take our time, slow down, and take a look at what uh, those lists um, describe. However, the lists aren't meant to be comprehensive, that is, to give all the virtues that could possibly be given. They're, they're meant to kind of give us a flavor of what's being talked about. Same thing with the vices, the, the sins, they, they, to give us an idea of what uh, not to do. And so that's what's going on here. We've got a list of things that paint a picture of love. And while it can be important to go through all of them uh, and say a little bit about each word, I'm just going to focus on, on three of the descriptions here. Um, not that the others aren't important, but to give us uh, a, a flavor here of uh, what love in action looks like, because this is so important this is the ingredient. Love is the ingredient without which nothing matters. If, if we serve without love, what do we gain? Nothing. It doesn't matter. The danger of loveless service is that it's of no value. God's paying attention and it's waste. You get it, right? This is important. This is important. So, so let's focus and see what love in action looks like so we can 
measure our attitude before God as we seek to serve the Lord and one another in the world that we live in. So let's, let's look at the, the first two of the descriptors here. Love is patient. Love is kind. So that word patience. When I officiated a wedding, I used 1 Corinthians 13. Um, and I like to just hunker down and settle on this, this one word to help the couple understand that they don't pay attention. They're, that's, that's fine. That's, that they shouldn't be paying too much attention. They've, 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 it's a big day, all right? But hopefully, uh, hopefully somebody pays attention and because and, 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 uh, uh, this is God's word and, and God wants us to understand love in terms of these characteristics. Love is patient. So we talk about falling in love, right? We've heard that term. We think of something when we think of that. We don't talk about falling in patience, do we, right? So it's a different thing. And, and why is it a different thing? And may, it may be it's a different thing in our mind because we don't have a, a, a really good picture of what love is from God's perspective. But patience, this is a really interesting word the word that Paul used when he was writing in his day, the Greek word, because it has this idea of suffering long, long suffering. That's an old uh, English translation of this word, long suffering. Love, love is long suffering. Think about that. Patience requires an irritant to manifest itself, right? Patience requires an irritant to manifest itself. Like, like the pearl that is built up around a, a, a grain of sand or whatever uh, by, the, by the oyster. Uh, so patience requires that something sticking into you that is irritating. We don't talk about, uh, so a young mom... Uh, with kids uh, out, you know, wherever in the grocery store, and the kids are all perfectly behaved and 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 humming quietly in three-part harmony to one another as they're going down the aisle. Uh, we don't think, "Wow, is that mom patient?" Right? We, no, the mom is going to uh, be considered patient when the kids are screaming and she's carefully uh, navigating that and calming them down. We get it, right? You don't say somebody's patient unless they are going through something irritating or they are suffering in some way. Well, love is manifested by patience in the, in, in the face of suffering. Have we ever been irritated by somebody? Okay, probably. Do we ever have somebody in our life who is a chronic irritant, right? We've got aches and pains we deal with in life, and then we've got chronic pain that just never goes away. Have, have we ever, ever experienced a chronic irritant? An ongoing irritant. Long-suffering describes love 
in that situation. If we are going to be loving, then we are going to be patient to that irritant. Now, why is that important? Well, we just talked about if we don't do that, what we do accounts for nothing. The absence of love with that chronically irritant person negates what we are doing before God as God pays attention to us in that situation. Love is patient. Love is kind. So kindness. Let's think about that word. So kindness, that requires us to, to regard the humanity of and, and, and the value, humanity and value of another, and then treat them in accordance with that value, right? That's what kindness kind of speaks to. Typically, we don't talk about being kind to a table, right? Uh, a table's something we use. I mean, maybe, uh, I don't know, if it's an antique and you're moving it, be kind to it, I guess. Uh, but typically, we don't, right? Kindness has to do with something that is very valuable, and we recognize the value, and we treat the the, the object in accordance with that value. I know we're going to be kind to animals. We understand that. We're, just, they're, we're seeing their value. We don't want to be cruel. We want to be kind. Well, well um, love is kind. But it's following this description of patience, which has to do with someone who is an irritant to us. And so can we be kind to the person that is irritating to us. Well, how do we do that? We have to regard the human value of that person and act in accordance. Do we always do that? Well, the answer is no, right? So, um, but we know that's what love is. Love regards the value of another and treats them in accordance with that value. If we don't do that, God's paying attention. And we say, well, wait, you know what? Um, okay, so I'm not always kind, but I do this, this, and this. But remember, what, what, are, we, what are we seeing here? It doesn't matter if we do this, this, and this. Because if we do it without love, it means nothing. So that calculus that we do, which is human nature, we all do it. And I know I certainly do it. That calculus is not God's calculus. The calculus of love is that uh, love has to permeate everything. Uh, and especially it is evident when it is difficult to manifest itself. The value of this is that um, uh, if it's a missing ingredient, then we're, we're wasting our time. Let's jump down. And look at one more description, because these are, these are positive uh, descriptions, what love is, and then there's a, a few negative, what love is not. Uh, look, look down here at the end of verse 5. It says, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Well, I have a feeling that when we're, we're on the patient's part, uh, and I asked if there's anybody who's a chronic irritant. I, I, I have a feeling maybe somebody popped into mind for some of us. I don't know. Well, what does that mean? That means that we are 
aware of the fact that somebody has poked us and pokes us constantly and, and is in the habit of poking us and irritating us. So does that mean we're keeping a record of wrong? Well, obviously, obviously, God does not want us to be brain dead and forget, you know, as soon as something happens, uh, uh, um, that we're to wipe it from our mind. No, that's, that's brain damage. We can remember the history of our interaction with people. We can remember who's hurt us and who's uh, been kind to us and regarded our value and treated us in accordance with that value. Uh, we, we can remember those things, but this is a, a more of an accounting term, and this is more of a, an idea, this keeping record of wrong is, is the idea that somebody has hurt me, therefore they should pay. That's the idea that's being talked about here. And the description that we're given of what love is, is, is that, that love doesn't require payment. Doesn't require that somebody pays for what they do to us. It's not up to me to exact that payment from them. Now, reference what we said earlier, right? God pays attention. He pays attention to all of us. God, God is cognizant of what's going on. And, and someday we all give account for what we've done. So God is paying attention. God's keeping records. That's his job. It's not our job. You ever find yourself in the position where, where you say, Some, someday he's going to pay for that, what the idea that God's going to get them. Well, we've got to be careful with that because you know what? Somebody's saying that about us too. And if we want God to be treating us with mercy in that day, but we want God to bring the hammer down to somebody else, God has something to say about that, and it's not, it's not good. Uh, we, we need to let God do God's job. God pays attention. And that's not our job to pay attention to, to exact payment from someone else. Another way to describe what this is is not keeping a grudge, right? So when we bear a grudge, what we're doing is we're taking this perverse pleasure in that irritant that somebody causes us, right? It's like touching the canker sore in our mouth with our tongue to see if it still hurts. Yeah, it still hurts, but we keep doing it, right? And that's what, you know, bearing a grudge is is just kind of nurturing that and, and and oh that person hurt me and then, oh that uh, I can't believe that person and then we share that with people oh you know what so and so so there's there's a perverse pleasure in that and that perverse pleasure is the opposite of love and so if we do that we're not acting in a loving way we're not being patient with that irritant we're not being kind and seeing the value in that person and treating them in accordance. See, it's God's job to pay attention, it's not our job. So, it's not our job to do God's job or to criticize the way God does that job. It's our job to love, to allow 
the irritants of life to exist in our interaction with one another and to see the value in the other that God has placed there and to treat others in accordance with that value. That's a picture of love in action. So that's hard. In fact, that's more than hard. That's impossible sometimes, right? Let's be honest. So passage continues and tells us uh, well before we get there uh, some other passages of scripture that describe what that looks like to, to show how uh, God makes the impossible possible when we focus our attention on Christ because this is the love that we're talking about is the love that God shows to us and just a sample of uh, a few verses very quickly. Well-known verses, of, in fact, John 3.16, probably one of the, the most well-known verses of all. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. This is love in action. This is sacrificial giving of God to the world. So it's one thing to talk about loving the world. It's another thing to talk about loving that irritating person that con- chronically causes us pain, right? But God's able to love the world by seeing all of us individually. Um, so God can do this, but, but um, for, for us, it's important not just to think about love in a global sense, but love in a personal sense. To, to think about love of individual people uh, because that's, that's where the difficulty lies. But, but God's love for the world, each and every one of us, his attention on each and every one of us is, is personal. He loved us so much he gave his one and only son. I said earlier that this is a very uh, appropriate passage to look at on Mother's Day. Uh, that's because um, the the parental love of God the father toward his son is uh, the, a love that parents are able to uh, uh, consider by analogy when they think of their children. He loved the world so much that he gave his son. There's no greater sacrifice, right? Back in uh, World War II when there were so many Service members deployed, men and women, uh, deployed to, in Europe and then the Pacific. And um, the, the Blue Star Mothers uh, um, concept was born where um, if, if somebody had a service member deployed overseas, they would put a flag, a little flag in their window, and the center of the flag was a, a blue star. And it showed that uh, a, a child of that household was deployed in the war. And you can just imagine back in uh, World War II with so many deployed, there were a lot of those flags. And it was a sense of solidarity down the street or in the town. And people would, people would know that uh, even if it was 
uh, a place where people didn't know their neighbors, although people tended to know their neighbors a little bit better back then. But regardless, they knew what that flag represented. There, there was a sacrifice that had been given that, that soldier, that service member was deployed overseas. But then if somebody lost their child, their child was killed in action. They would hang up the same flag, only that blue star was gold, a gold star. Mom is somebody who had lost a child to the war. Well, God the Father is a blue star father who deployed his son, and that was tr uh, changed to a gold star because his son died in the conflict. Conflict, no greater love, right? Sacrificial love that showed the God values us that much. That's the ultimate kindness. He values us that much. We who irritate him by offending his laws, his holiness. We who offend him by the way we treat one another. We who offend him, the irritants that are, are, are the crying little brats that, that are just making a, a, a mess and a noise and me, me, me. Uh, uh, God values us so much that he showed his love by manifesting kindness, by sending his son. And these other passages uh, talk about the son's love for the father and for us by, by uh, serving the Father, and coming to earth to die. Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I've been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, the life I live in the body. I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Love and gave, just like God loved and gave his Son. Christ loved and gave his life. And so we are to follow that example. This is love in action valuing the other and treating in accordance. We, the irritants of God, could not live up to the scrutiny of a God who pays attention that we will someday appear before. God knows that, so what did he do? He gave his son. We, that's love, right? Ephesians 5, 2, walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us, gave himself, up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. God pays attention. He knows we can't live up to the standard. He gave his son as a sacrifice, and his son willingly gave himself for us. Ephesians 5, 25. And so husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. This is the value that makes service, activity, what we do in our lives and what we do in our church, this is the value, that uh, the, the characteristic that gives it value in God's eyes. This is being like Jesus as we interact with one another. But it's hard. Not only is it hard, it's impossible sometimes. So God knows that. So he wants to direct our attention here in the final segment of this love poem on how we can do what is impossible in and of ourselves by focusing our attention in the right way. And that is uh, 
to, to focus on the eternal value of loving service. Verse 8, 1 Corinthians 13, love never fails. Where there's prophecies, they'll cease. Where there are tongues, they'll be stilled. Where there's knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when the completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, talked like a child, thought like a child, reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the child. I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully even as I'm fully known. Now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of these is love. need to focus on the eternal value of serving in love if we want to experience the, the blessing of having God's love flow through us as we serve one another. So this, we can see it kind of, it, it's a, a repetition of what was said in the earlier verses. It's talking about spiritual gifts, prophecy, tongues, uh, words of knowledge, um, it's saying those things are going to go away someday. It's got this language of, of uh, uh, childhood giving over to maturity. And clearly what's being talked about is uh, when this life is over and we enter into the next, and as we've talked about in the past, how uh, we're not just talking about heaven. Yes, heaven is the, the way station on the way to eternity, but someday God's going to bring heaven to earth and, and uh, we, will, uh, we who know Christ will spend eternity with him in that kingdom. It's talking about the kingdom here when heaven and earth become one. That's, that's what's talking about. Uh, uh, when we see face to face, that's, that's when we're going to see God's kingdom here on earth and, and the fullness of creation being manifested, which is a kingdom of love. Love is the characteristic of God's eternal kingdom. Love is God reigning for eternity. And so verse 13 says, these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. The supremacy of love is evident. Love is eternal. Faith and hope are not eternal. See, what is faith? Faith is trusting in the unseen, right? When we talk about it in a spiritual sense, I mean, we, we, we can have trust in a chair. We don't think about it. We just, we, we sit in it and we trust it's going to hold. Usually, that works for us, right? Uh, enough uh, that, that we don't even think about it. But you think about it, we're putting our, our trust in the chair or faith in the chair when we sit in it. But in the spiritual realm, we're, we're trusting uh, in, in uh, God who we don't see to manifest himself in our, in our life. Faith is something that is evident in this life. But when we see God face to face, we're not going to need faith anymore because we see God. And that faith will transcend into something else called love. Hope 
Similar idea, hope is an expectation of a brighter future. But when we enter that future, when we enter that experience face-to-face with God, hope becomes something else. It becomes love. Faith and hope are going to go away. But faith and hope are what sustain us now because we experience love through the faith and hope that God gives us through Christ. So I want to just close with this because love is of eternal value. Without it, our service means nothing. And so the sacrificial love of God needs to permeate our lives if we desire to be true children of God but that's so hard and God knows it so he gives us the ability to to sustain that love through faith and hope and prayer is a manifestation of that prayer of, of that faith and hope and Jesus told us how to pray by saying these words in Matthew 6, 9 through 13. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. As we've forgiven our debtors, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. God gives us the power to love. If we maintain that faith and love through prayer prayer i want you just to try on this description for size we'll close with this prayer true prayer in fact prayer as it's described here in the lord's prayer it's a visualization of eternity that's manifested in present reality. Prayer, it's a visualization of eternity that's manifested in present reality. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what is the eternal value of God's kingdom? It's it's love, right? It's patient, it's kind, face of an irritant it's not keeping wrong it's letting God do do his job he won't criticize the way he does it we'll just focus on loving one another and loving him prayer is a visualization of eternity manifested in present reality if we pray that God would help us to love the way his son loved then our service will be of value to him this is important passage right because none of us wants to be doing stuff for nothing so let's do stuff for something let's do it through love and may uh, God's kingdom come to earth through us as we live in love let's pray together so God we are um, humbled as we consider All the things that we sort of occupy our time with and get busy about, uh, but maybe do so without reflection on your intention toward us as we do them.
Um, God, we pray that you'd help us to understand uh, love as you've loved us through your son, Jesus Christ, so that we can reflect on that love and allow your spirit to use it to guide us in our service to you. As we go to your table now, we're going in anticipation of that further reminder of what love truly looks like. It's cause us to taste what we can't fully understand and remind us of your love to us through the sacrifice of your son. In his name we pray. Amen.